Total Skin Nerds is brought to you by SkinFix. We're clean, clinically active, and on a mission to help heal your skin. Hey guys, it's Amy Risley, SkinFix founder and host of the show. I'm just dropping in with an important pre-podcast note. We started taping Total Skin Nerds during the winter before COVID-19 changed the conversation about pretty much everything. Our aim then was to make a show based on the idea of caring for our listeners. COVID-19 has only reinforced that. SkinFix has always been about healing. We take it seriously and we're committed to making Total Skin Nerds a show that helps throughout this difficult moment and beyond. Welcome to Total Skin Nerds. I'm Amy Risley, the CEO of SkinFix and a first-rate skin nerd myself. I'm so excited to be hosting this podcast where we'll feature in-depth conversations with top doctors and skincare authorities who are on a crusade to change how skin is cared for, treated, experienced, and talked about. This season, on each episode, I'll be joined by one doctor on a mission, and we'll explore their medical focus comprehensively and compassionately. And we'll offer actionable advice about the skincare topics that affect you, from acne to eczema, from inflammation to stress. This time, my guest is Dr. Ellen Marmer, a board-certified dermatologist, a highly skilled Mohs surgeon, and one of the leading skin cancer experts in the country. Dr. Marmer is also a four-time skin cancer patient who now works diligently to raise awareness about the disease all around the world. Stay tuned now as Dr. Marmer joins me in New York to discuss her own prognosis and everything you need to know about skin cancer prevention, treatment, recovery, and much more. Stick with me, nerds. Don't go away. So welcome, Dr. Ellen Marmer, to Total Skin Nerds. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. So we're so excited to have you here and really excited to do a deep dive on the subject of skin cancer. You are a survivor, um, and you are obviously a doctor that deals with it a lot. And so we want to do a deep dive and tell our listeners all about what to look for, how it's treated, what to expect, how to prevent it, and everything that we can do related to the condition. Uh, so I had uh, four skin cancers on my face so far, um, starting about 10 years ago when I had just had my first child and had a skin cancer on the side of my nose. Um, and then within two years, I had another one under my eye on the opposite side. Um, and then about six years ago, I started a philanthropy called Skin Cancer Take a Hike. Yes. And the reason for that was because after you have skin cancer, you become very afraid of the sun and you become afraid of all the controllable risk factors. Like, um, But I also had a bunch of little kids and I wanted to enjoy my life to the maximum. So there's that paradox of how do I protect myself and my children but yet enjoy this wonderful world we live in. So hiking is one of my favorite things, and I started this um, hike to raise money for skin cancer prevention with big shade structures um, in parks and places where kids play. And also there's one at the Washington, D.C. Zoo, and different communities can um, get grants for sun protective 
educational programs and structures. And I felt like prevention is the one thing that we all can do by yes. taking care of ourselves. We don't have to wait 30 years for research. We can change different tiny behaviors and protect our skin and hopefully reduce our risk of skin cancer. I know my risk was from growing up in Happy Valley, Pennsylvania on the swim team and always outside all summer long. I would have competitions to see who could get more tan and who right. could get more sunburn and who could have better tan lines and all that stuff all through high school. And then after college, I led canoeing trips. So I was a wilderness canoeing trip guide for a couple of years out in Minnesota and Canada. Then, ironically, on our last skin cancer take a hike in Iceland, I had two spots pop out on my face. So these hikes are 100% outside, obviously, yes. for long periods, like a week at a time. And even though I was wearing sunscreen, I may not have been wearing enough because it's cold in Iceland and I kind of felt like it's not hot and sort of right. loosened my own discipline. Got off trail, looked in the mirror, saw two bumps that weren't weren't there a week ago. So tell us what those bumps look like. Yeah, what so on the basically tip of my nose, right where the world is um, going to see. Um, I had a little sort of white bump, okay. and it didn't come to a head. It was firm. It wasn't really pearly, which skin cancers, basal cell cancers are supposed to look kind of pink and pearly, okay. but it wasn't there a week ago. Okay, so that's something to think about mm -hmm. if something pops up that wasn't there before. Yeah, so okay. it pops up, and in your mind you're like, I don't know, did I scratch? Like, did I cut? Did I have a bug bite or something? You, you They're always some type of thing you're thinking maybe it is, but then it doesn't resolve. So it just pops up and kind of stays there. Okay. Um, and so I tell my patients, you know your body better than anybody. 80% of skin cancers are found by the patient, okay. not the doctor. Okay. And so you kind of know when something hits your radar, like, hmm, that's weird. So once that happens, once you detect something sort of kind of interesting, keep an eye on it. Um, and if it doesn't resolve within two to three weeks, then see your dermatologist. And meaning resolve, like come to a head, go away. Mm -hmm. Like a zit would do something. Like you're yes. used to your pimples without without picking it. So yes. if it comes to a head and, you know, resolves and maybe there's a little redness left over, that's a pimple. Okay. Um, but if it's a brown spot that's there and maybe even growing, definitely have it checked out. So then I went to my own office and I had Dr. Jackie Berliner, who's also a Mohs surgeon, which means a skin cancer surgeon. I had her use a special device called a dermatoscope okay. and look at my skin cancers up close. And so this special scope is like a magnifier and a polarizer. And it's a device that allows us to see patterns on top of the skin and also a little bit under the skin. Okay. And helps us understand the difference between something that's benign or something that's suspicious for malignancy. So right away she did two biopsies. They both came back positive for basal cell cancer. So one was a pigmented dark basal cell cancer and one was a the worst kind, which is called morpheiform or scar-like basal okay. cell cancer. And those are the kind that can take 11 stages of skin cancer surgery to remove. They wow. can make us have to remove the entire nose, which would require a major reconstruction. So um, how did you feel at that moment, knowing what you know, the prognosis could yeah, be? Yeah, I think like immediately, it's taught me a lot about um, cancer at large. So skin cancer is the most common of all cancers added up. So breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, prostate cancer, all those cancers added up are less than skin cancers. Wow. 
So, and people think skin cancers are benign, but I've had patients die from skin cancer. Like it is, you know, it's, it's a deathly disease. So it's something that um, we have the opportunity to look at this organ of our own skin. You can't look at your liver, you can't look at your heart, you can't look at your brain, but you can look at your skin. Yes. Um, so I went into, I was kind of relieved to know what it was. Okay. And that you caught it quickly. Caught it right it away. it just popped out. Yeah. So relief and then function. I was like, okay, I know what to do. I'm going to make an appointment with my dermatologist, Dr. Jackie Berliner. I'm going to go in. I'm going to have Mohs surgery. Um, I'm probably, at the time, I extrapolated, like, I'll probably need total reconstruction of my whole entire nose. And then I got in touch with a bunch of different plastic surgeons to see who was the best at that type of reconstruction. And do they do that immediately <clears throat> after the Mohs? Does that all happen under the same anesthesia or does it happen in stages? Usually the Mohs surgery is unpredictable how long you're going to be at the office in terms okay. of how many stages you're going to do. But oftentimes what we'll do is we'll do, we'll plan on Mohs surgery in the morning and then sometime in the afternoon it'll switch over to the plastic surgery reconstruction or it can happen the next day or in certain situations it can even happen a week later. So it's a little bit of a juggle. Um, so for listeners who are who are approaching this or have to go through it, um, the guidance of your Mohs surgeon is very important and the Mohs surgeon can either do the reconstruction themselves or <clears throat> if they feel that a plastic surgeon would be better for you, they often have a relationship with good plastic surgeons and okay. they can help you out. You talked about earlier when we were in the kitchen about how you kind of didn't realize the gravity of it all mm -hmm. until it had all gone down and it had all happened. And then you thought, oh my gosh, that yeah. was major surgery I just had. It's a big deal. Um, the first two skin cancers I had on my face were small and I was so busy with raising my kids. I just like had them, um, dealt with them, and that was it. It didn't make a huge, um, I mean, I did actually talk about it leading to sort of my early midlife crisis okay. because I realized that part of me could break without me knowing it. Right. And if if that could happen on my face or skin, what else is happening in my body? And that did make me feel <clears throat> very committed to carpe diem. So that's what the first skin cancers did for me. The second skin cancers, um, were painful. The surgery was like near my eye and like my middle of my face. And I was very, very swollen. And I had to have a graft taken from my eyelid to put on the, the deep wound in my nose. And it just was kind of debilitating. And it just hit me really hard emotionally. Okay. Um, and it still does because it's like it's a drain to have a scar on your face. Like you walk, for me, I'm a dermatologist. People come to see me for all kinds of things, but one thing is cosmetic. So I'm walking in the room and already I'm slightly disfigured, you know, it's, but you can't hide it. And you, and I'm surprised how other people respond. 99% of people are like, are you, but you're okay, right? They, that's all they care about. That's what they're it's concerned with. so wonderful. Well, I can't even see it, and I wouldn't have known unless you had pointed it out. So it's okay for everyone. It's like a size of a dime on my nose. But um, but there's a study that shows um, that 7% of people would rather not have surgery for a cancer than have a disfiguring scar. And over 40% of patients would risk a higher risk of death then have a disfiguring scar on their face. Speaks to sort of the psychological and emotional impact of how we look. 
Yeah. And so vanity is not a word that I ever use. I think that we, to care about how you look and to care about your skin and to do self-care is healthcare. Yes. It is a very functional motivation, Um, taking care of yourself, having a routine, having a a skincare regimen, having good behaviors. Yes. um, Consistently in your life is, is like, money in the wellness bank. It's all going to help over time. So in terms of skin cancer, are there certain ethnic groups that are more prone to skin cancer than others? Are there any links? Yeah, of course. The number one myth that you all know is that people who have any dark color to their skin. So, you know, typically like the Asian, Hispanic, any, anybody with darker skin thinks that or even like my patients say, oh, I'm Italian, I I, I tan easily, I'll never get skin cancer. But that's a myth. So a widely known fact is that Bob Marley died from melanoma um, on his toe that he did not want to have um, treated. So skin cancer happens in um, people of all colors, people from all countries, and it's partially genetic. And the risk for skin cancer in people of skin of color is typically a squamous cell cancer, whereas in Caucasians or very pale, pale skin, it's um, basal cell cancer. So explain the difference between those two. Okay. So the three most common skin cancers are called basal cell cancer, squamous cell cancer, and melanoma. So people always say, is it squamous or squamous? <laughs> it's like squalene, squalene. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and really, the, the the skin is made up of two layers, not seven. People always say, is it seven layers? It's the epidermis, which is the part you touch. So if everybody touches their skin right now, they're touching their epidermis. And under that, like if you cut yourself and you bleed and you see underneath the skin, it actually looks like milky white. That's called the dermis. And that's where all your collagen is. And so in the epidermis, there are then like, a, it looks like a, a brick wall of of different cells and as they grow upward we change their names so the cells at the very base of that are called the basal cells and that's where basal cell cancers begin and then as those basal cells mature they become squamous cells and that's where squamous cell cancers begin and that's why they have different names every tenth cell if you think of a picket fence every tenth cell on your body is a melanocyte and those make melanoma but their happy function is to make melanin, which is pigment. And so that's why those are the three main types of skin cancers named after those cells. There are also nerve cells in the skin, and those make Merkel cell carcinoma. There are also oil glands in our skin, and those make sebaceous cell carcinomas. And um, so those are those are some less common types of skin cancers. Okay. And so you were saying the sort of lighter skin tones would be more the basal and then people with more melanin are typically more squamous. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the different types of cancer and really dig in a little more into sort of the levels of severity and are there certain types of cancer that are uh, faster moving or more dangerous than others? Um, can you talk to Definitely. us a little bit about so that? So just in the past um, few weeks, I've diagnosed some brutal uh, skin cancers that that make me existentially concerned. You know, so there's one that was, it looked like just a red M&M on somebody's forehead. And it is the kind of cancer that I immediately referred that person to Sloan Kettering. Like it's okay. not good. And another person had a sort of like a brown pink 
plaque that looked like an age spot like all his others and that was an amelanotic melanoma so the first one was merkel cell cancer the second was was amelanotic melanoma another patient had some blood vessels and um some scaly stuff and had a history of squamous cell cancer so i did a biopsy thinking it was going to be squamous cell cancer and it was something very rare called angiosarcoma so these are the kinds of very aggressive unpredictable cancers that we we kind of know statistically are very aggressive and so we treat them very aggressively right away the basal cell cancers are typically um basal cells and squamous cell cancers the most are the two most common as i talked about and they do different kinds of growth patterns so they tend to do what's called radial growth phase so they're they start at the surface of the skin they grow wider and wider like an oil slick that's called a radial growth factor they radiate superficially so you end up seeing them for and being like this is weird and then it gives us a chance to biopsy it and take care of it they do a radial growth pattern before they do a vertical growth pattern and that means that's when they start to dive deep down hair follicles and down into the skin and start to invade and the second they get through the epidermis which you can touch yourself through the dermis which is that milky white skin that you see if you cut yourself into the area where there are blood vessels and fat that's when they can fly. Okay. So the skin barrier and the protection that good, healthy, intact skin barrier is a physical defense. And it's also an immune defense. It can see bad things. It can kill it. So when I say the body is constantly repairing, we know that precancers that are called actinic keratoses, 90% of them are killed by your own body. Wow. Before any doctor sees them or anybody sees them. We know this now about breast cancers. A lot of cancers are occurring on a small level in your body. As long as you're healthy, you sleep well, you eat well, you exercise, you keep yourself strong, you're killing cancers every single day. So the precancers, 90% of them will go away by themselves. The 10% that are persistent take about two years to become an invasive skin cancer. And I actually published that research many years ago. So you have two years for these precancers to become more invasive and mature on most skin cancers. And that's why skin cancer surgery is so important to get rid of them right away, even if you have a scar, because you want that gone before it has a chance to get down into the easy highway into the body, into the lymph system, and into the circulation, and then it just spreads. And then it's very hard to detect and to kind of like target all at once because it's just all over the place. Right. So you want to get it before it gets there. Yeah. And then what are the different stages? Is it similar to other cancers where there's sort of a stage one, two, three, and four of level of severity? Yes, it is. We do have staging systems, mainly for squamous cell cancers and melanoma, um, and also for the Merkel cells and other cancers. And typically, like all cancers, um, staging is about has it invaded its local area, has it spread to lymph nodes, and has it spread beyond lymph nodes to from local lymph nodes to regional lymph nodes, and then has it gone into other organs. And most of us after the age of 40 have heard of people close to us who have passed away from um, melanoma in the bladder, in the lung, in the brain, in places that you just wouldn't even imagine that there are melanocytes. The second most common spot of melanoma to originate, not the skin, is the eye. And in so, the eye In itself. the eye. Okay. So there's a place called the uvea of the eye. Um, so 
sunglasses are another really important thing. Big, wonderful, dark sunglasses. Polarized, are really is that helpful. important? Mm-hmm. Yes. What happens after, if you've had a diagnosis and you've had mm-hmm. um, treatment for melanoma, then what do you need to do to sort of follow up to make sure it's not moving through the system? Get it taken care of immediately. So timing is everything okay. with skin cancer. Treatment within the first 30 days of diagnosis of a primary melanoma on the skin is life-saving. Okay. So do not delay. And this is why everyone should have a dermatologist in your in your life. Yes. You should have an appointment already at a local dermatologist and you can find the name of a good dermatologist at aad.org or asds.net. Make an appointment, even if it's just for like a wellness visit, who cares? But then once you're in the system, if you ever find a spot, you wake up and you're like, I don't remember this spot on my toe, or I don't remember this spot on the back of my knee, or I don't really remember this on my, this is a bump on the back of my head I can't see. You can call that day and you should be seen within 48 hours. And then does it become a regular checkup sort of every six months or a year Mm -hmm. to keep going throughout your lifetime? Yes. So the normal checkup is once a year you're seen as a happy patient who's never had skin cancer. And we look at you from head to toe. So we look at your scalp, through your hair, on your eyelids, inside your mouth, in your nose, in your your ears, your whole neck under your arms, under your breasts, in your groin. It's, it you is know, a full visit. <laughs> I see more, I've seen more naked people than, you know, all the listeners combined. Um, but so that's what we do. We just like, we do exactly the same exam on everybody and we look between your toes. And if you have any spots, write them down on a little piece of paper before you come so you don't forget and make us double check everything. Hmm. And okay. um, that's, happy people once a year. If you've ever had skin cancer, we like to see you three months after we've treated your first skin cancer for another full skin check. And then if it's been a basal cell or squamous cell cancer, then you go out to six months and then back to once a year if you haven't found anything. Okay. If it's a melanoma, you do every three months for a year, then every six months for a year. So your second year is every six months. You also have your eyes checked by an ophthalmologist once a year to look for pigment inside your eyes. Your gynecologist should look inside the vulva and any area there because the mucosal surface can have skin cancers there. Okay. Um, and the dentist should be looking inside your mouth for whites, reds, and browns. Tell us about Mohs surgery. Okay. What what is what is that all about? Okay. Mohs is spelled M O H S, and it's named after one of the pioneers in this type of surgery, Frederick Mohs, and it's been around since the 1950s. Mohs surgery it combines um, in one person, so I'm a Mohs surgeon, so I'm the dermatologist who does the skin check, um, detecting skin cancers. I biopsy it, then I become the surgeon who excises the skin cancer, and then I become the pathologist where I'm looking at all the margins of that piece of tissue while you wait. And so the procedure that we use to um, cut the tissue and make the slides is like peeling an orange. So I'm looking at 100% of the circumference of that orange. So if there's any skin cancer tracking through, I'll find it. And I've created a map so I can come back to the patient. I have my map where I have, let's say, north, south, east, east, west quadrants that are um, blue, yellow, red, green ink. So I have um, a very accurate way of correlating what I found on the slides as a basal cell or a squamous cell. 
and I can come back to you as the patient and take only what's necessary in that particular quadrant. Okay. So it's not like plastic surgery where you have to guess and take a larger margin and then send it out to a lab and come back a week or two later and then say, oh my gosh, we found some skin cancer, we have to do it again. Or the other problem is a false negative um, clear margin diagnosis. So if you have skin cancer and you have a non-MO surgeon take it out, they'll cut it out, sew it up, send that piece to a pathology lab that will not peel it like an orange like we do, but they'll cut it like a loaf of bread, take out two or three slices randomly, and just look at those the crust on that bread, just the the, the toast. Um, so they're only looking at like a small percentage of that tissue. Okay. So it could miss skin cancer that's still left in your body. So you have a higher chance of recurrence. So what percentage of dermatologists doing skin cancer surgery are Mohs surgeons? That's a good question. I would say about I'd say about fifteen percent. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a pretty small subset. It's all over the world. Okay. In fact, when we went to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, I was yes. lucky enough to visit um, a small lab there. And we call it a lab because you have to have a pathology lab. And the Mohs surgeon there um, worked with uh, Africans um, who have albinism. Okay. And so they have no pigment in their skin. And they die by the age of 25 um, based, this is a genetic disease where they have no melanin and yes. they're in hot African sun and don't have a lot of sun protection. So they started a whole program there making sunscreen, literally making it in the lab. So I was in their sterile lab helping them make sunscreen. Then they have a, um, a bus that goes out to all these villages and gives people sun protection. And they only get new sunscreen if they show that they've used up the old one. Oh, so they wow. recycle the containers. It's oh, amazing. Wow. Um, cool. And then they get free skin checks and then skin cancer surgeries. What is the name of the organization? So in Moshi, which is a small town at the base of Kilimanjaro, there is a place where... Um, it's called the Kilimanjaro Sunscreen Production Unit, where they produce 15,000 jars of their sunscreen, which they call Kilimanjaro Sun Care or Kili Sun. And it is largely based on donations from big companies who donate the active ingredients for the sun protection. And then in a sterilized room, um, a woman named Coco actually taught me how to make their sunscreen where she literally in um, what you would make pancakes in was uh, making the ingredients and putting in the vehicle, so the cream, okay. and mixing it in mixers and then ladling it into white plastic jars. thousand jars. That mm-hmm. would take a long time to make It takes a long time, and the, it's, it's the most amazing um, place, and it's at the Tanzania Regional Dermatology Training Center. Okay. Um, and the woman who runs it is a pharmacist who came from Spain, and her name is Dr. Malfalda Soto Valdez. Tell us about, in your mind, what is the ideal sunscreen protocol? A lot of people talk about sunscreen and how to use it, but I feel like we still don't really know what to use, how much to use, how often to reapply. You know, I was talking to my mom the other day who lives in Laguna Beach, and she's using an AHA, and I said, are you using sunscreen? She said, oh, I don't use it every day. She lives in Laguna Beach. Wow. It's like, Susie. (laughs) Susie. Hello, Susie. So, um, but she said it's in my CC cream. So what is your thought on sunscreen in makeup versus sunscreen that's standalone that you're reapplying? And sunscreen is our number one defense 
other than not being out in the sun excessively. Right. Sunscreen is, I guess, our second defense. Um, and so what I like to tell patients is opt for the min- the mineral-based sunscreens with okay. zinc and titanium. Hopefully those aren't absorbed as much just based on molecule size. And vary your sunscreens. So have a variety okay. of different sunscreens for your face versus your body. And why is that? Because, you know, some days are cool days where you could use an SPF of 30. Some days are hot, crazy, sweaty days and you're going to be not wearing a ton of clothes and you need a really easy, make it easy on yourself. Like have product placement, I call it. Like have a (laughs) basket of sunscreen by your door and grab one or have a quick spray that goes on invisibly and just make it easy on yourself and on your kids and on your husband. Have big hats around just have it easy because yes. how many of us have gone to a baseball game and forgotten our sunscreen 100 right or they we forget to reapply if we're in the middle of playing tennis and we forget to reapply or if we're at the pool and we feel the heat on our back but we didn't put on a shirt so just have you know a sun shirt have several different kinds of sunscreen have a big hat and plan your day a little bit better where you're not like arriving at the beach or the pool at 10 a.m. even though you had a slow morning because you're going to get burnt from 10 to 2. Just be thoughtful about it. Your mom's CC cream is a good start because it does have an SPF in it. (laughs) It's better than nothing. (laughs) Good job, Susie. But um, it's probably she's not smearing it all over her body. So don't forget Mm -hmm. your ears and like the area around your eyes. Eyelids get some skin cancer a lot. Okay. Neck all the time. And how often reapplying? I tell people when you're super hot to reapply every 30 minutes. Okay. Um, The rule of thumb is to reapply every one to two hours when you're out consistently. If you've just gone and been in the waves for a while and you get out, you definitely need to reapply. It does wash off no matter what. There's no such thing as waterproof sunscreen. There is water resistant, and that just means that it becomes a bit more tacky, so it'll cling to the skin a little bit better. I just heard about an ingredient called thermophilus algae. And that it has some protective uh, capability against infrared heat. That it's actually the infrared heat from our devices that's causing the skin damage. Okay, so I have a huge stupid grin on my face right now when she's asking about Thermophilus because it is the hero ingredient in my skincare line. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Fantastic! Okay, so tell Total us all about... moment. Tell us sure. all about Thermophilus algae. Well, so Thermophilus algae, so algae itself, we all know, I mean, it just loves water, right? So algae itself has so many healing qualities, one of them being a humectant one of them being an anti-inflammatory um, and just good old algae to, for the skin. But the thermophilus has been shown to reduce heat and to reduce inflammation. So we, um, when your skin gets hot, it releases, there are so many free radicals happening under the skin. So heat means your blood vessels have opened up and your circulation is rushing to your face. Okay. And then when circulation rushes, rushes to your face, it means that all these other cells are coming to your face and there's this um, heightened inflammation. And the byproduct of that is waste and waste in the sense of free radicals causing destruction all over the place. So I talk about the Tasmanian devil. We all know from the cartoons, right? So the Tasmanian devil, like these, these cells come into the skin and their job is to like destroy a bad thing, but by accident they destroy good things in our skin. And that's how we get wrinkles and that's how we get um, actually genetic mutations from heat and from Um, And actually, sun damage is really from heat. It's not, you know, the UV is really a photon. Photon is a hot 
ping pong that comes into our skin and hits the DNA and burns it. That's okay. all it is. It's too much heat to the DNA and it hits that and makes something called a pyrimidine dimer, which is a bad um, a bad byproduct. And then that causes a mutation in the DNA and then that cell replicates and that's how skin cancers start. So by bringing your skin back to balance, cooling it off, and the thermophilus is able to like absorb and dissipate that heat, you are protecting yourself from lots of things. Fascinating. Yeah. Is there any way to undo damage? Speaking of which, yeah. if you've had years of sun mm-hmm. exposure and there now is. you know better, but you've had years of sun exposure. Yeah, you can undo a lot of the damage. And that is the beauty of being an organic living being. Okay. So all of our body, most of our energy every day is going toward repair and repairing your liver, repairing your gut, repairing your heart, repairing your brain. The whole body is made for reparation and sleeping is the time when you do repair. So your skin is healing. Your lungs, people know that there are great statistics about having been a smoker in the past, but if you don't smoke, your chances of lung cancer drop precipitously for every year you don't you stop smoking. Right? I love that. Such an optimistic it's message. It's so great. It's because yeah. we are bionic. The body is bionic. Oh, wow. It knows how to repair. And the same thing with skin. So just be good. I mean, it's so boring, but just be good. Like, just don't expose yourself to hazards for skin cancer. It's another myth, by the way, that you need to tan before you go on vacation because you're going to okay. get your skin ready for the sun. Like, it's just damage. It's like, let me just pour acid on my skin so that my my skin scars enough that it's not going to feel it. It's like, right. don't do it. It's just not, it's Doesn't a myth. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. And don't smoke because another risk factor, a controllable risk factor for skin cancer is cigarette smoke or okay. even vaping. So don't do that. It exposes your face to more toxins and it needs, then it gets more mutations and it needs more repair. So sun and smoking are the two things that you can control um, to prevent skin cancer. What would be your recommendation for a daily sunscreen, a 30, 50? I always tell people 30 to 50 is the sweet spot. Okay. And so if you can find an elegant sunscreen that's within 30 to 50, just stick with it. Okay. The hundreds are probably fine when you're climbing Mount Kilimanjaro or you're at an extreme sport or if you're like on a sailboat all the time, definitely you need to be using better sunscreen. SPF eight, like four and eight. That's what I used when I was young. Oh and I thought it was God, they shouldn't even be made anymore. It's like, <laughs> it's like a tease. But the truth is um, that sunscreen math is something that people don't understand. Okay. So the sunscreen number you're seeing, 30, means that you can stay, do you know what it means? It means you can stay in the sun 30 times longer than you normally would until you burn. Perfect. But that's not very long. It, well, for some people it's not long. Some okay. people it is long. So that is that is true. SPF means sun protection factor and it means how much time you can spend in the sun without getting a sunburn. The 30 is used, the way they do the testing in the lab is that they put sunscreen on these poor lab individuals, um, but they put it on like vanilla icing. Thick, right, right, like Philadelphia <laughs> cream cheese, like zinc oxide, totally in the, in the old days. And they don't rub it in or rub it off or like make it look elegant. So you're Got getting it. a fraction of that number. So if you're using an SPF 30, you're probably getting an SPF seven, right? Okay. If you're using an SPF 50, maybe you're getting an SPF nine or ten. Interesting. Yeah. So SPF math, and the other thing that is a myth about sun protection math is that if you use an SPF 30 plus an SPF 50 
You're not getting an 80. You're not getting an 80. Okay. You're getting a better 30. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Good yeah, it know. does not add up. Does sun protective clothing work? I love sun protective clothing okay. and even regular clothing as sun protection. Okay. <laughs> so you don't have to be like, oh, you know, I'm going to just go out in my bikini because I don't have a rash guard. Just put a shirt on. So as much as you possibly can when you're not actually actively in the water or doing whatever sport you're doing, you should have extra clothing on just to protect those areas. We know skin cancer hits men on their backs. Okay. And women on their legs. Okay. So if you are putting sunscreen on, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to let my legs get tan. Don't do it. Definitely put sunscreen on your I legs. I've done that. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Just like, You just ignore areas that you just think for some reason aren't going to get skin cancer. So melanomas hit women on their legs more and melanoma hit men on their backs at the age of 40. So wow. it's a young person's disease. But I know I love the rash guards. I love um, the other thing to think about with sun protective clothing, and we say we call it UVF, UV fabrics, is the washability. So some of these are chemically treated to create sun protection, but after 30 to 50 washes, they lose their ability to protect okay. you as much. And then you actually can buy a, a wash booster that you can put in. Um, the shirt and somehow wash it in the washing machine and it'll recoat recoat it. Um, so don't, it's another myth that if you buy um, a rash guard three years ago and you've been wearing it every day, that it's still protecting you with the same. So what is the latest research in skin cancer? Are there any promising treatments, vaccines, mm-hmm. other things? So back in 1999, I did research at NYU on melanoma vaccines. The idea at the time was how do you vaccinate somebody with a virus that can learn to recognize melanoma cells and kill them? So targeting cancers. And th- we ran into so many hurdles, but the idea then was immunotherapy, which is being used mm-hmm. now in all different kinds of cancers. And so it's so exciting for me now 20 years later, right? Because one of the problems now is that sometimes these vaccines can be used or immunotherapy infusions can be used, but your body attacks the therapy or the cell surface markers of the cancer learn that they're being attacked. And so they change their coding. So they change their surface. So they're not recognized anymore. So they're outwitting the vaccine or the immunotherapy. And the idea here is that once you can find a way for something to work on one or two or three people, you can then scale that up, that that procedure up, and then use it on many, many people. Um, so there are, this is a new dawn for melanoma and for other skin cancers where in the past, there was nothing good. It was take these interferons, take these medications that made you feel horrible and die anyway. Now it's much more targeted. I have patients who've been living years and years and years with metastatic melanoma. It's amazing. So that's another reason why early treatment, early detection, well, prevention. So start with prevention. prevention. SPF 30, sunscreen, sun shirts, and avoiding sun. And don't be stupid like we were when we were young. Protect your kids. There's never a time, never even a summer when you shouldn't be cautious about uh, sun protection. Never a vacation. So just be good and be optimistic. Get in with a dermatologist, get your skin checked. If you see something that you think is weird, get in within a week and then having early treatment and then having a team of people who know what they're doing and then stick with them. Don't, don't delay. 
where are you in your treatment right now? You've had the most surgery. So in August, um, I had the most surgery both at once. So one of uh, the eye area that took only one stage, meaning one round of the skin cancer removal and healed with a couple stitches. Um, the second area on the tip of my nose took three stages. So that meant that Dr. Berliner did my first excision based on what she could see clinically. We looked at it under the microscope together and saw the morpheiform basal cell cancer, which is the kind that looks like little tadpoles under the skin. It's like a little sneaky. She did a second stage of surgery and it was still positive on the margins. She did a third stage of surgery. So we're getting bigger and bigger and deeper. And then it was clear, which was a blessing. And then my plastic surgeon friend and guru, Dr. Jess Ting, came over from Mount Sinai and took care of me in my own office, mm -hmm. cut off my eyelid, removed muscle from my eyelid, and made a graft onto my nose and sewed it on. And for a week, the stitches were in both areas by my eye and on my nose and on my eyelid um, for the donor site. So for a week, I had the stitches very swollen, lots of bruising. That Then I had the stitches removed, and that was in the end of August. So now September, October, November, December, we're four months later. The areas are still very red and bumpy and swollen, and, um, and so I've done laser several times to help reduce the redness by um, killing off the excess circulation, so the redness will go away. And then the laser that I've done is called fractional laser, and the Cyton fractional laser is a way of um, drilling away scar tissue and making the skin more normal. So scar tissue is collagen that's like lumped together in a in a tight rock kind of it doesn't move well, it's not flexible, it's a scar. Regular collagen and regular skin is like basket weave. So it's a woven nice basket like lattice structure. And so that's the difference between scars, which is like a lump clump of collagen and a nice fluffy basket weave collagen, like styrofoam packing in, in boxes. That's old fashioned too, but yes. if you can remember that. <laughs> um, and so when we do lasers, we're getting rid of that lumpy clumpy collagen and we're giving you new basket woven collagen that's more flexible. And then the scars basically disappear. So scars take, um, scars mature and they get smaller and less noticeable in different milestones after surgery. So usually the first few months, it's red and bumpy. Then from three months to six months, the redness tends to go away. From six months to one year, the area usually gets smaller and the bumpy stuff starts to smooth out. And then a scar is really done healing at two years. And the reason all this is happening is because skin integrity and skin strength gets better only about 10% per month after surgery. So even a month out or two months out, three months out, you're still only like 30%. Your skin is still healing and trying to hold itself together. So is it important if you're going to use a laser or any sort of device to work on a scar to get it within that first two years? Studies show that early laser intervention is actually better for scar healing. Okay. So you definitely want to see a board-certified dermatologist. No other doctor has the same training in laser physics and understanding skin. So I love my plastic surgery colleagues, but they're not immersed in this. We are immersed in this in our, in our entire residency and fellowship programs. And so in terms of next steps for your treatment then, is it just now about treating the scar area because you've gotten everything and your margins are clear? Yes, so my margins are clear, which is a great relief. And now it's about, um, I have a 3% chance of recurrence of these areas. Um, so it's always about, 
being really um, vigilant and watching the areas. So we know that people are more likely to get another skin cancer, specifically melanoma, within two years of their diagnosis of their first skin cancer. And we don't know if that's because we're a little bit more vigilant and looking at them and finding things early, or if there's something, um, I, I have a theory that there's clusters of skin cancers that come out based on 30 years ago when we had a cluster of skin sun exposure when we were little. Okay. So if there was like a specific summer vacation where we got a ton of sun, it can catch up to you. I wanted to talk to you guys about what's called the two hit or three hit phenomenon yes. to cancer. So your body has in every cell two strands of DNA and those two strands keep you healthy. When one strand gets killed, the second strand can actually replicate and make a, a, another new healthy strand. So usually we talk about cancer taking two hits. So if you had a big bad sunburn 10 years ago, if you're really good forever and ever after that, you won't get that second hit. Okay. So that's another wonderful optimistic thing. People would like to say to me, it's futile. I had already so much sun damage. I'm done. And the answer is you're not. It's always a good day to start over and do better and let your body do that healing process itself and don't get that second hit. Thank you, Dr. Ellen Marmer, for being here to talk skin cancer with Total Skin Nerds. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. It's been so fun. And I hope people listening go get skin checks. And I hope even this one conversation can save a couple lives. Um, and I love Skin Nerds. So thank you so much. It's my we honor love you to be too. Here. <laughs> you can learn more about Dr. Marmer's work, innovations, and incredible products at www.marmermedical.com. I loved my conversation with Dr. Ellen Marmer, and I learned so much from talking with her, as I always do. And here are the three things that I can't stop thinking about. First, I had no idea that 80% of skin cancers are actually found by the patient, which means we are our own first line of defense. It also means we really need to check ourselves. And when we see something suspicious, we need to try and get to a dermatologist or a general practitioner as soon as possible. Second, we take for granted things like the availability of sunscreen. So I'll be looking into more mission-driven organizations like the Kilimanjaro Sunscreen Production Unit. There's definitely ways we can help others around the world with serious skincare issues by raising awareness, taking the time to learn, and donating to the cause. That organization's website is rdtc.go.tz. And third, I've already adopted Dr. Marmer's amazing idea about keeping a bunch of different sunscreens by your front door. It's the kind of simple grab-and-go protection policy that could pay huge dividends, and nobody in the family can complain that they couldn't find sunscreen. To have Dr. Marmer answer your skin cancer questions, follow us and DM us on Instagram at SkinFixInc. And remember to watch our feed for her answers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Total Skin Nerds. And please subscribe to our show on iTunes and Spotify. Total Skin Nerds is produced by the amazing team of Rob Corso, Casey Kahn, and Howie Kahn for Freetime Media. Our theme music is by John Palmer. Special thanks to Arlene Sanchez, Melissa Palmieri, Catherine Spears, Kara Canning, Jane Meredith, and Megan Collins. And I'm your host, Amy Risley. Till next time, nerds.
Total Skin Nerds is brought to you by Skin Fix. We're clean, clinically active, and on a mission to help heal your skin. Total Skin Nerds is a podcast created to educate. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical advice. If you are looking for help with a skin concern, we would encourage you to seek the advice of a board-certified dermatologist, functional medical practitioner, or other qualified healthcare provider. You can find a registry of board-certified dermatologists in the U.S. at find dash a dash derm dot aad dot org and in canada at dermatology dot ca for a registry of qualified functional medical practitioners you can visit ifm dot org thank you so much for joining us on this episode we hope that you enjoy listening to total skin nerds as much as we enjoy making it <laughs> 